The following is produced by Artisan Church. Welcome to the Artisan Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. To learn more about Artisan Church or to support the ministry, visit www.artisanchurch.com. Well, a couple of things I forgot to say a minute ago. One is to introduce myself if I haven't gotten a chance to meet you. Um, my name is Scott, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Artisan. So is Mike, who just has prayed for us. And uh, our, our third uh, member of the team is traveling for a few weeks here. His name is Jason, and as soon as he gets back, you'll start to hear his voice. Uh, I promise. And the other thing that I forgot to tell you about, though many of you have already kind of started to access this, is that we... Um, we kind of like to, to worship together as families, those of us who have kids and um, really the whole community, and that includes during the sermon time. So we actually don't send our children away where they won't bother us um, <laughs> during this time. But there are some art supplies in the cabinets there. So if you're here with kids and want to get those, you can use that. And also out in the foyer, we have the, the uh, flat panel TV and the audio broadcast out there. So if you need a little bit more space or a little bit a place where you can be a little bit noisier, you can definitely take advantage of that. And for the rest of you, um, uh, there, there may be a little bit of kid noise, and we kind of have just learned to accept that, because life involves children, and so that's just the way it's going to be. <laughs> so, um, but we are in the third Sunday after Epiphany, and uh, a few moments ago I read to you from Luke chapter 4. And so I'd like to dive into that passage a little bit more together this morning. And uh, if you would like to follow along, the Red Bibles are under your chairs, and we're on page 835, so you don't have to know anything about the Bible to find where we're at here. And uh, by the way, if you don't have a Bible would like to take one of these Red Bibles home with you, you're welcome to do that. We've got plenty of them, and that's what they're there for. So diving right in here with verse... 14. What's the first word of this passage? Somebody has it, right? Then. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. But you know um, that I'm going to not let you start right there because uh, it's one of those exegetical laws, like what is the therefore, therefore? You've heard me say that before, right? That's not original with me, but that's a really important rule to follow. What is the therefore, therefore? If you start to read a passage and it begins with therefore, and you don't read what comes before it, you're missing the point, probably, or part of it, or or the setup or something. So um, then Jesus means that that what's about to happen is happening after something else that was just told in the preceding verses. And so I'm not going to give you a sermon on the preceding verses, but I would like you to have it kind of in the back of your, of your mind that what had happened just before this story that we're going to look more closely at is Jesus had gone into the wilderness and fasted for 40 days and was tempted by the devil. And uh, you, you may have heard that story before, uh, but he's tempted these several times to kind of uh, give up and sort of uh, ask God to bring food for him or... Um, he, Satan promises him to, to give him all the city if he'll just bow down to him and, 
And, uh, and Jesus continues to resist him. And so it's after this really incredibly trying time, physically and spiritually, that Jesus uh, goes into the temple and, and what we're about to look at happens. Um, and you notice he says, uh, Luke, the, the gospel writer, describes Jesus as filled with the power of the Spirit. And I got to thinking maybe he's filled with the power of the Spirit because he's just gone through this really incredibly trying time. Because as you know, sometimes those really difficult periods in our life, though it feels like they're going to knock us to pieces along the way, when we finish those times, we actually come out feeling stronger. And um, I don't know if it's because we've learned to re- that we have to rely on God more and on ourselves a little bit less or, uh, or what it is, but... I sort of guess that, that maybe Jesus is filled with the power of the Spirit because of what he's just endured uh, and his response to it. So Luke says that Jesus began to teach in the synagogues of Galilee and that he was praised by everyone. And that then he arrives in his hometown, city of Nazareth. Feeling about half past dead. Uh, that's a... That's a 35-year-old song. I'm not even 35 years old, so I'm not sure why I'm quoting it. It's not to look hip, apparently. Um, (laughs) It's a good song. So he arrives in his hometown, and he goes into the synagogue, as is his custom. And then we get a, a, a picture of what specifically he did when he would go into these synagogues, and what is it that he did when he would go in, as was his custom. He did what? He stood up to read. And I want to stop and talk about that for just a minute, um, because it seems to be kind of a common theme uh, in today's passages. If you remember the Old Testament reading that Amy did, what was happening in that one? Ezra had stood up before all the people in front of the water gate, not water gate, but, you know, the, the gate that was by the water, probably, and he starts to read from the book of the law. Read from the books of Moses. Now, what, they, what was happening in that passage is that they were, about to, they were starting the process of dedicating this rebuilt temple under the leadership of Nehemiah, who's described as the governor. And what they did first was get together and called all the people together, and Ezra had them stand, and he read to them from the books of the law, the public reading of Scripture. says, all the people gathered together into the square before the water gate. They told the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. He read from it in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Sort of like what we've been doing with our scriptures. And you may remember, I'm going to keep pointing to this flannel graph board as long as we have it back here, which will be for a few more weeks at least. But it's just kind of cool to have that whole big story in the back of our minds. If you weren't here for that, um, bummer. Uh, but <laughs> you may remember uh, that just before the Israelites entered the promised land after wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, what did, what did Moses do? He called them all together and he, he reread the law to them. Basically, the entire, almost a, a very large chunk of the book of Deuteronomy is just the rereading of the law that had already been given in Leviticus and elsewhere. 
And so we have these Old Testament examples, um, and this is, those are just two that I gave you, one from today's readings and one from, one from the story that we looked at a few weeks back, where people are reading the, the scriptures publicly. And then you get to the New Testament passage for today, and what's the first thing that Jesus does when he walks into the synagogue is stands up to read, and he reads from the Old Testament, reads from the prophet Isaiah. If you look at the epistle readings, um, the letters that, that uh, the apostles wrote to churches, those were intended to be read aloud to the church, and that's how they were used. The public reading of Scripture has, has always been a part of, of Christian worship. In fact, there's a really neat... Um, it's really neat. I'm really I'm racking up the hit points this morning. It's it's so keen how uh, <laughs> this no the the, um, the first apology of Justin Martyr written in about 150 A.D. I'm going to read to you a little portion of that where he describes what would happen when cr- these Christians would get together to worship together. I'll have this on the screen behind me here. This is Justin Mar- Martyr's description of of Christian worship. He says on the day called Sunday. All who live in cities or in the country gather together to one place, and the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read, as long as time permits. <laughs> they had long, forget an hour and a half. They were going all day. Then when the reader has ceased, the president, you know, just the person who presides over the meeting, uh, verbally instructs and exhorts to the imitation of these good things. Then we all rise together and pray, and as we before said, when our prayer is ended, bread and wine and water are brought, and the president in like manner offers prayers and thanksgivings according to his ability, and the people assent, saying, Amen, which you may recall is what all the people said at the end of that passage that Amy read. After Ezra read the books of the law, they all worshipped and said, Amen, Amen. So... Now, clearly, um, a, a major reason why Scripture was read publicly in these contexts was because the illiteracy of the culture was, was widespread. It was widespread in the culture, I should say. We live in, in, a, in a place and time where uh, a very, very large majority of Americans are literate. And all of you, I, I think, are literate. We're pretty close. And so you could just go read the Bible on your own. And so I understand that that, that may be why a lot of this, in these, in these old, old-timey things I'm telling you about, the scriptures were read aloud. Because people were illiterate and because printed matter was very expensive and rare. So you, you didn't just go down to the Alpha and Omega and get your scroll of Isaiah. You know, it had to be put on papyrus and all this stuff. So... We, we live in a different place and time, and, and we don't have those same restrictions and requirements on us. We could just read the Bible ourselves. But I actually think that there is a power in the hearing of the Word. Not just reading it to yourself, and not even in somebody like me coming and sort of trying to tell you what it means, or explain it to you, or teach you something about it. But just in the hearing of the word. It's interesting, our Catholic brothers and sisters uh, and some of the more liturgical Protestant brothers and sisters in the Christian family get this on a different level than most of us 
evangelicals do. The, uh, in fact, the, there's an there's a instruction manual for how to structure Christian worship uh, in the Roman Catholic Church, and this is one of the things that it says in there. It says, when the scriptures are read in the church, God himself is speaking to his people, and Christ, present in his own word, is proclaiming the gospel. Kind of a neat idea. And so that's, why, that's one of the reasons why I've decided to, to, to uh, have all these passages read aloud. It's different from what we normally do. Uh, but I wanted to try it. And I, I think that when you hear words read aloud, and, and I've deliberately not put them on the screen. A lot of times when we do text, we have it on the screen. But I've deliberately not done that because I want to trigger that different part of your brain that hears the words and, and obtains them or understands them in a different way. Let me give you a, a different kind of example that might kind of explain what I mean. Uh, how many of you have tried to read a Shakespearean play and stopped after Act 1, Scene 2 because you're just like, ah, I can't follow this. It doesn't make any sense. Everybody had that experience? Uh, even those English majors among us had that experience at one time. Now I know you're really smart and you don't have that problem anymore. But Now... Of those of you who just raised your hand, have you also ever gone to see a Shakespearean play performed and you don't understand it for about, you know, one or two scenes and then all of a sudden it's like they're just speaking normal English again and it totally makes sense and you don't have any problem following it. Is that not true? Now, obviously, part of that is because you, you, you there's a set and there's scenery and, you know, sword play and things to keep you entertained. Uh... But I think it also is just your brain is beginning, it's working that muscle out. And as soon as you stretch that muscle out in your brain for hearing words, suddenly hearing them makes it a little bit easier to understand or you understand in a different way than if you just read it in front of you, right? And so I think that I would like to kind of try to make the scriptures come alive in your brains in a different way. And that's one of the reasons why uh, why we've decided to do it this way during this short season after, after Epiphany. And again, they may, these passages may not all make sense. As a matter of fact, uh, no offense, Brian, but the passage you read has nothing to do with what I'm talking about today. Um, <laughs> but, but it still speaks to us. I was kind of moved hearing that passage read aloud, and, and Brian did a great job reading it. Uh, and... I kind of heard some things in a new way that I, that I hadn't heard them before. Because I think the scripture speaks to us even without that special connection that we maybe try to put together. Oh, hi. <laughs> There's a baby up here. <laughs> oh, seen and not heard, Noella. Seen and not heard. <laughs> <laughs> so we're not, we're not always going to do things this way We're not always going to have all these scriptures read in every service But it's something I wanted to try uh, And of course we're following the model of Jesus in some ways too So let me go back to that story uh, of Jesus in the, in the temple Or in the synagogue, excuse me Reading from the prophet Isaiah Because it, it is important and significant and instructive Simply that he read aloud But what he says is actually alarming. 
And it's how he addresses the word that really is important to see. And as we get the, the, the gospel passage next week, picks up where this one left off, and we'll see some of the consequences of, of what he said. But he reads this passage from Isaiah, would have been familiar to most, if not all, of the people in the synagogue, as a prophetic, a prophetic passage, kind of speaking of things to come, of a great movement the Lord would do in their midst. And then what does he say? He rolls up the scroll, hands it back to the attendant, and says what? Kind of drops a bomb, doesn't he? This passage I have just read, yeah, that was about me. <laughs> he said, it's been fulfilled in earshot, basically. You have heard and seen these words come true right before your very eyes. Wow. Let's stop and think about that for a second. Let's imagine that a traveling preacher came through Rochester and spoke and gave a sermon here at Artisan Church. Now, we would never do that because of uh, Christianity rule number 42, which says never trust a traveling preacher. Uh, <laughs> but let's, say, let's just pretend that we did for a second. And the preacher got up here and was uh, reading from, uh, let's say, the book of Revelation or something, some, some prophecy about the end times, maybe the second coming of Jesus or something really, really significant. And he reads it, and then he says, these words I have just read are coming true before your eyes because they were about me. How long do you suppose it would take for Mike or me or Jason or anybody else to run upstairs and press the mute button on that microphone? And how quickly would we semi-respectfully ask that person to leave? Pretty quickly, right? And yet that's pretty much what Jesus did in the synagogue. Reading from the prophet Isaiah and says, it's been fulfilled before your very eyes. But the truth is that is exactly what we believe about Jesus. That he did fulfill that prophecy and many, many others. That he's the son of God. That he's not only the fulfillment of God's word, but that he is God, that he is the word. He's the center of all things and the source of all things. And in fact, let me look at a different gospel passage. Wow, I just opened right to it. <laughs> Somebody give me a gold star. That never happens. Uh, from John chapter 1, thinking about Jesus as the word. Many of you have heard this passage before. If you're flipping to it in your Bibles, it's 862 in the red ones. And I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 and then verse 14. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And we're going to skip a, a lot of really good material, but jump right to 14. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son. The word became flesh 
and lived among us. So not only does Jesus read the word, but he is the word. Not only does he, as the the Catholic worship manual say, is he present in the word speaking to us, but he's proclaiming his own gospel in the hearing of the words. Now this passage I've just read to you from the Gospel of John would have two different meanings depending on the reader. If you were a Jewish reader, you would hear the word word and you would think about the word of God. The books of the law, the prophets, the wisdom literature and so forth. If you were a Greek reader, you would hear ha-logos, logos just being the Greek word for word, very meta, um, and you would hear a philosophical principle that was familiar to you as well. The logos, which we kind of pronounce as logos if we're talking about the Christian bookstore, but the Greek pronunciation would be logos, uh, was it, and I'm not a philosophy expert, but the Greek philosophical principle of Logos is this kind of mediating force between God and the world. And so for John to use the word Logos is really kind of interesting because it speaks to his Hebrew Jewish readers and to his Greek readers. And uh, they both get a, a, a really significant spiritual meaning from the use of that very word. But the word became flesh And lived among us. And so, I would encourage you as we make our way through this season and you hear these passages read aloud, to do a few things. One is to maybe not scramble in your Bible to follow along, because as again I said, I'm not putting them on the screen for you. But hear the words and let them wash over you. And try to exercise that muscle in your brain and see if the hearing of the word doesn't speak to you in a a way that maybe the reading of the word silently uh, wouldn't. And that may be a way that that some of you who are frustrated by the Bible can can be drawn back into its uh, pull somewhat. Just like if you were frustrated by Shakespeare, a great thing to do would be to go watch a Shakespearean play performed. And so if you're feeling a little stale uh, in your Bible reading life, maybe these next couple of weeks can be a source of uh, refreshment for you spiritually. And the second thing I'd like you to do is remember that as we read the Word, capital W, that the Word, Christ Himself, is present in that and is proclaiming His gospel to you. And so you are freed from the need to try to make um, some common thread go through all of these passages. You're freed from the requirement to, to kind of think about it intellectually all the time. Let those words wash over you and let Jesus speak to you in the hearing of that word. Let me pray for us. Our God, we give you thanks for your word and for these great examples uh, today of how it is used in Christian worship. 
And we ask and pray that in, the, in these weeks, as we hear more and more Scripture read aloud, that you would speak to us uh, in our hearts, that you would touch us in a way that, that maybe we have trouble sensing when we read on our own in private. And most especially, Lord Jesus, that you would be present in the hearing of your word, in his public presentation. And that we would have a real encounter with you, having heard it. We ask for your presence now as we continue in worship at your table uh, and in song. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, our response to all this talk about the Word is to come to Christ's table. That's our response every week after we hear the Word proclaimed. And uh, I'd just like to let you know that this, is, this table is open to all of you who are seeking to follow Jesus in this place. And uh, our process is pretty simple. You can come to the table and tear off a piece of the bread and dip it in one of the cups. We have both wine and a non-alcoholic juice. They're labeled and you can use whichever would be more appropriate for you and your family. Uh, but as you come to the table, look at it as an act of remembrance of Christ's sacrifice, that bread representing his broken body and that wine representing his shed blood. And we also like to think of it as John Wesley thought of it, as food for your souls, uh, just as your body would wither and die if you didn't eat anything um, there's some sense in which your soul would wither and die if you, if you didn't kind of come to Christ's table and uh, join with your brothers and sisters in that sacrament. And so our table's open now. You can come as soon as you're ready, and uh, it, it'll be open for the rest of our service together. Uh, I'm going to invite Bethany and the band back up, and we'll sing some more together. We'll worship as God leads you. This has been the Artisan Church Podcast. To receive future podcasts, go to www.artisanchurch.com slash podcast or subscribe on iTunes. Thank you for listening.